0: Good morning, good morning. It is Thursday, the 8th of June. Happy birthday to my friend Helga. Mm-hmm. I know. I know. I could do happy birthdays every morning. So, um, happy birthday to you. Whatever day of the year your birthday happens to fall upon. How's that sound? Uh, I did have a strawberry rhubarb pie. Well, I mean, not the whole pie. <clears throat> I had a piece of strawberry rhubarb pie in anticipation of strawberry rhubarb pie day, which happens to be tomorrow, which also happens to be my birthday. There you go. If you want to celebrate, uh, you know, go have a piece of strawberry rhubarb pie, grow some rhubarb, share some rhubarb with others. Like this would make me happy. So good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Faith Radio. Uh, Our growing your faith verse of the day comes from first Timothy chapter six, verses nine and 10. But people who long to be rich, which, you know, let's just pause right there. Who doesn't long to be rich? At some level, in some way, who doesn't long to be rich? So just let's just go ahead and sort of confess and admit that as we read into this passage. People who long to be rich fall into temptation. They're trapped by foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from... The true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not money itself that's evil. Let's be clear here. It's um, the love of it, the longing for it, the desire. Um, you would look at those words in this passage longing, temptation, trapped, foolish, desire. Plunge, ruin, destruction, evil, craving, wandered from the true faith, pierced, sorrow. So it's a good opportunity for us to um, just check our own hearts in terms of our desires and our longings related to particularly financial gain and sit before the Lord in terms of what he has said here in his word. Um, let me uh, read you in quickly on something happening halfway around the world from many of us, and yet it's such a great story in terms of reminding us how close we live to the reality of uh, of what the Bible says and how many people around the world continue to live in the ways the Bible describes. So ideas have con- consequences, and... Um, and so I bring that to bear in this story out of Indonesia. Thousands of Hindu worshipers um, are hauling produce and animals, um, carrying them by hand over great long distances on foot. Um, so you would think of this as a pilgrimage, but it's a pilgrimage that uh, that ends at the edge of an active volcano that's currently belching smoke. Um, and they're engaging in this centuries-old religious practice of throwing produce and animals into the volcano um, as a religious sacrifice. So every year, the Tengger tribe um, surround the highlands at the top of this volcano in the hope of pleasing their gods and bringing luck to this indigenous people group in eastern Java. Um, one of the uh, farmers there, uh, 40 years old, um, he said it's an act of gratitude for giving uh, for, for God. I mean, it, the, I'm just not sure that I appreciate that the article um, capitalizes God there, but there you go. Um, that God is giving us this prosperity and we return it back to God so we come back year after year after year and make a sacrifice. Now, um, Slamet, uh, this 40-year-old farmer, had brought a calf um, to throw into the volcano. Well, the calf actually escaped. And so then there is this concern that, you know, Slamet's sacrifice wasn't... It was actually, like, actively rejected because it ran away. Um, so... I bring this up because it sounds familiar, right? It sounds familiar that people would go to a place and they would make a sacrifice. So this festival actually has its roots in 15th century folklore, um, a a Javanese Hindu Buddhist empire stretched across Southeast Asia uh, in the 14th and 15th centuries. And legend has it that a princess named Roro uh, and her husband were unable to bear children after many years of marriage. And they begged the gods for help, and their prayers were answered, and God promised them 25 children, but they had to agree to sacrifice the youngest child by throwing him into Mount Bromo, which is how this festival um, emerged. So uh, their son is said that he willingly jumped into the volcano to guarantee the prosperity not only of his family, but of the Tanger people. Now, part of that story sounds very familiar, right? Especially if you're familiar with the story of Abraham and Isaac in Genesis chapter 22. You know that God had promised Abraham descendants, as many as the stars of the sky. Um, But Abraham and Sarah were quite old, and so how was God going to make good on this promise? And Abraham and Sarah took things into their own hands, and Abraham had a son by a servant woman named Hagar, and that son is Ishmael. And the world continues to reap the complex harvest of that bitter root. But that's another story for another day, because today's story is about the son that God did send, named Isaac, and he was by all accounts a wonderful blessing. And then this day comes when God tells Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, not to a volcano, as a story that we just read in contemporary time, but on an altar as a blood sacrifice. Now, for those who know the story of Jesus, where God offers his one and only son as an atoning sacrifice for sin, We can certainly see the foreshadowing in the story of Abraham and Isaac. And Abraham was willing. He took his son and a load of wood and a dagger, and he made the journey up a mountain to a place where God directed him, and he built an altar of sacrifice, and he bound his son, and he placed his son on the altar, and he sharpened the blade. And he prayed that God would supply another way, and God did. A ram appears in a thicket, and God instructs Abraham to sacrifice the ram in place of his son. There's so much we could talk about here in the story of Abraham and Isaac and faith and faithfulness and the fact that people are still confused today about what God requires. Um, I want you to read Hebrews chapter 10 today as a part of this conversation because a sacrifice has been made once for all. Jesus has... Ben Johnson is back from Washington Stand. You can read what Ben's writing at WashingtonStand.com. Good morning, sir.
1: Good morning, Carmen.
0: So last week, we uh, told folks to anticipate this piece that is now posted. Um, You walk us through an update on church attacks in the U.S. that have been on the rise. Can you um, brief us in on that?
1: Yes, uh, there there was a a bulletin from the uh, Department of Homeland Security on May 24th warning that church attacks uh, would be Uh, uh, continuing. And in fact, there should be a state of heightened alert between now and the 2024 election uh, because of the fraught political situation in the United States. And they they mentioned what they call faith-based institutions, so not just churches, but church schools, uh, obviously, and uh, other church institutions. So uh, we now have a report from the uh, Family Research Council from my colleague Ariel Del Turco, uh, who she she initially put out a report uh, earlier in the year talking about the number of overall attacks over the last five years. And she found that between 2018 and 2022, the number had tripled. And then she looked at the first three months of this year and the numbers compared to the first three months of 2022. The numbers tripled yet again uh, from This past January was the most dangerous month that she had looked at in the entire five years uh, that she had examined. And she goes through each and every attack on every U.S.-based church uh, and the reasons behind it, uh, where they were. And these are all the ones that are available from publicly available data. She simply called it all and told everyone where it was happening, all in all uh sixty nine attacks the first uh the first three months of this year, a total of four hundred eighty nine attacks minimum that have been documented since two thousand and eighteen
0: so this dhs memo on the increased threat against churches um, relies on uh something called the faith-based security advisory council. Um, can you tell us anything about that?
1: Yeah, I, I have a piece coming out uh, at the Washington stand, hopefully a little bit later today on this very topic. I went through there a total of 25 members who have been appointed to that, and the members include uh, Al Sharpton, uh, the former head of the National LGBTQ Task Force, and an imam who had a fundraiser for a convicted cop killer. So it's, it's very much uh, a, a council that uh, has a certain political point of view, uh, that it has a certain faith point of view. The uh, individual who uh, was appointed from the LGBTQ task force, uh, Naomi Washington Leaphart, was uh, the head of uh, the Institute for Welcoming Resources, which aims to create, and I quote, a paradigm shift in Christianity to embrace the unconditional welcome of people of all sexual orientations and gender identities in the church home of their choice. Uh, She was talking about the United Methodists who refused to accept an out and proud lesbian bishop as, quote, immoral so these are the advisors that they are relying on for those positions obviously they do not reflect the broad majority of uh, churchgoers in the united states uh there there are a couple of people uh, who are uh, closer to the general mainstream of churchgoers but the vast majority don't reflect that point of view and uh, unfortunately that means that a polarized point of view about churchgoers is being given uh saying that uh uh, organizations that are simply adhering to biblical scripture might be extremist and uh, outside the pale.
0: Wow, I'm scanning the list. Um, yeah, that is that is a that is a crowd, man. Okay, we're gonna um, continue our conversation with Ben Johnson here in just a moment. The Human Rights Campaign, which might sound like um, something you would be supportive of, but then you might also be surprised. The Human Rights Campaign has declared a quote state of emergency. For LGBTQ people, um, there is also a declaration related to uh, African American people in the state of Florida. So, what is a state of emergency? Who's allowed to call uh, to call one uh, out, and um, what does that look like? So, we're going to talk about language and the way language is used and the declarations that various and sundry people are making um, here in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. As we consider the life of Jesus and the life of the first generation of Christians, reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament, we see people who like wake up. They come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it changes everything, We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized, and follow Jesus. The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. All right, the NAACP has said that Florida is not safe um, for black individuals. The human rights campaign has declared a state of emergency related to LGBTQ people across the country. Um, Ben Johnson is with us. He's the rights writer. He's also a senior reporter and editor at the Washington Stand. Um, Ben, what's your sense of of what's going on? Like who who can declare such things? I thought a state of emergency was something that really was declared by a person in an official position of governance over a particular place. So what's going on here?
1: Yeah, you might think that a state of emergency would apply to, say, uh, the clouds of smoke over a lot of major American urban centers uh, today because of the wildfires in Canada, that kind of hazy, milky sky and things of that sort. Uh, This has nothing to do with physical health concerns whatsoever. These are all policy related matters. Uh, And you're right. Ordinarily, this sort of state of emergency would be declared by an official governmental organization, uh, FEMA or something like that. But uh, organizations have made a, a kind of a figurative attempt saying that people who uh, who live in these states are, quote unquote, at risk or under attack. But when it comes down to it, what's really insidious about this is that these don't involve physical health or physical safety, unlike a wildfire, unlike a crime pandemic uh, where there aren't police to respond to it these are talking about the state of policy and essentially they're criminalizing political differences and criminalizing political ideals, saying that if you support certain legislation, you're making certain other whole communities, quote unquote, unsafe. So uh, the HRC human rights campaign has one of the best names that are out there, as you mentioned, but uh, the HRC is essentially a a pro LGBTQ um, organization. It's, It's a, it's a PAC, it's a pressure group, Uh, It it takes a rather polarizing view of the world. And uh, one of their issues with Florida, for example, they talk continually about bills that have been signed by uh, Governor Ron DeSantis, of course, running now for president. And um, one of the things that they target, for example, is the fact that he signed a bill saying that uh, only full bona fide doctors, not not nurses, uh, not someone without that kind of full medical training, uh, would be able to um, uh, to administer cross-sex hormones to someone who's he- undergoing transgender um, in, in in injections. So they said that somehow that threatens the safety of of people who are uh, part of that community as which the abortion industry used the exact same argument when similar legislation was passed there it's simply advocacy on behalf of an industry against their consumers but uh, what as i say what is really at the core of this is is the idea that if you take certain policy positions that disagree uh, with certain polarized views of politics then you are a physical threat to the health or safety of other people when in fact Uh, We know that uh, three-quarters of Americans believe there are only two genders. There was a study that came out, which I covered for The Washington Stand, showing that uh, they did a survey of people who underwent transgender surgeries and found that there was no difference in happiness uh, for those who underwent those surgeries as opposed to those who did not. And they found that uh, people who had undergone these surgeries were lonelier than those who had not so in fact this is safeguarding the physical safety of those people and safeguarding their mental health but it's on the wrong side politically as far as these very well-funded organizations and very overexposed organizations are concerned
0: Mm. it's it's so complex and um i know that i mean you and i have hearts that are broken um, for the things that break the heart of god and all of this is heartbreaking Mm. I mean, it just it just is this is it's it's heartbreaking um to consider that people because of the color of their skin believe they have cause to not feel safe traveling anywhere in the United States of America um and it's heartbreaking to consider that people are so confused about their physical identity um and their spiritual identity and who they really are um that they would be seeking out the kinds of services that then the state would have to say, this is not good for you. Like, I, you know, there's, it's more than just a warning on a cigarette pack. Like it's, it, we 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 have a responsibility to tell people when they are engaging in a behavior that is genuinely life-threatening. And um, so I do think there's a responsibility of government to intervene, uh, particularly when we're talking about cross-sex hormones and the availability of um, surgeries being made available to people before their uh frontal lobe is fully developed. <clears throat> so, you know, I'm not even a person who who thinks these ought to be available um I don't know until you're 25 or something. Like I would go, go way beyond uh way beyond um 18 because I I just think that people um are making decisions that you that are non-reversible and um and you ought not be doing that when you're you don't even know who you are. It's it's so challenging. I know. I'm.
1: Yeah. But <sighs> well, it it is, and all of this, of course, deals with the demand, the supply side of things. We need it as a church to deal with the demand side, to bring people mm. to the oasis and show them there's a God who loves you, who created your identity, can reveal your true identity to you, and your identity as a son or a daughter of God Most High. You were not created as a mistake, but God loves exactly who you are. He formed you in the womb. Before you were created in the womb, he knew you. And He has given your life purpose, direction, and infused it with his divine love and purpose.
0: Amen, amen, and amen. Um, I had a recent conversation with a person who suffers um, from a genetic disorder that has resulted in um, some very significant physical malformations, right? We would call them deformities, but he resists that language because he says this is the way God formed me. So I don't I don't like that I'm referred to as deformed um because God is the one who knit me together in this way, and I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, and I know it full well. So there is a a healthy um a very, very healthy way for a person who is in Christ and understands who they are um, to accept. What the rest of the world might see as flaws and the way that we see our own body um, can be totally delusional. Um, And so, uh, yeah, so thank you for the ongoing conversation. Thank you for your contribution to the conversation today. Uh, The Lord bless you. That's Ben Johnson. He is the rights writer, a senior reporter and editor at the Washington Stand. He's got a piece we think posting today on some of these topics, but there's already great stuff posted there as well, um, including his piece on church attacks in the United States, which have been and continue to be on the rise. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. All right. Um, I was going to say, hey, good looking, what you got cooking? But I'm supposed to be saying um, something about how does your garden grow? Mary, Mary, quite contrary. How does your garden grow? Jerry, Jerry, uncontrary. How does your garden grow? We have a lot of um, we have a lot of land around our churches. I don't know if you've noticed that. So I got an email yesterday from a person who was asking what to you will seem like a totally out-of-the-blue question, <clears throat> but to me seemed like an utterly reasonable question. And this person was asking me, how many congregations, how many churches have departed a particular denomination in the last 23 years? And I don't know, you're going to say to yourself, Carmen knows such things? No, but Carmen knows how to Google and find out such things. So, um, so that was an interesting back and forth. And one of the observations in that email exchange was um, that, in addition to there being a few thousand churches that had left said denomination in that period of time, there were many thousands of congregations within that denomination that had fallen below like the threshold of viability. So it happens to be a denomination with a little over 9,000 congregations in it, but more than 65% of those churches have a hundred members or less. And it's really like, those those are really, depending on where you are and and how complex it is to call and pay a pastor and then pay all the things related to the upkeep and functioning of the church facility, a hundred members just just is often not enough to really sustain a viable, ongoing ministry in all of its parts and pieces in terms of the expectations we have for local churches today, and um and so. It it blossomed into a, a conversation about what are some creative things that local churches could be doing with what God has already placed under their stewardship without trying to, you know, quote unquote, build something new or do something new. And gardening, providing space for a community garden, um, is one of those really great ideas. Like, it, it's a really great idea. It gives us an opportunity to demonstrate that we are cultivators of the culture, that we know how to sow the seed, that we know how to um, wait patiently for the Lord, that we know how to grow in righteousness, that we know how to fellowship with one another and meet the needs of people in our communities by um, sharing with them the abundance, the harvest um, that comes from the land. And then you know, genuinely sharing with people that they might taste and see that the Lord is good, right? I mean, there's just all kinds of beautiful benefits. So um, what wonderful um, providence it is to be able to talk today with Andrew Bailey. And we learned of Andrew Bailey through uh, another conversation that we had here on the program. Um, And Andrew Bailey is the student from Auburn University, who helped start the garden, the community garden, at the Farmville Baptist Church. And so Farmville, not just a game on your phone, actually a a church that has a community garden. And so we're going to talk with Andrew next about the inspiration and how it all came to be. And, well, you know, maybe even what's next for him. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Andrew Bailey is joining us. Uh, He is a student. He is also um, engaged at the Farmville Baptist Church and their community garden. Uh, Andrew, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. It's good to be here. All right. So you just graduated from Auburn University. Is this correct? Yes, ma'am. I just did. All right, so tell us about that graduation day. What happened? Who was there? Who did you see? What what what's going on for those of us who you know didn't get to be there? Take us back.
2: <laughs> well, I got surprised. My neighbors came down. They drove probably close to four hours to come down here see me. So that was great. I had grandparents pull in the night before. I had my parents, brother, and sister to come down. So it was a big surprise for me seeing everyone back home drive down see me. We had lunch. Um, after lunch, I got ready for graduation. Went into the stadium and we did the thing. And then you blinking us over.
0: It's but right. It's right. You blink it it's over. That's totally true. Um, okay. So where's home? People came down from home. Where's home?
2: a Alabama, right below Huntsville.
0: All right. All right. Fantastic. Um, so tell us about the garden at Farmville Baptist Church. Um, you know, like what are you doing and why are you doing it? Okay.
2: So this is our third year at Farmville Baptist Church. We basically, just have a garden. It's a hundred foot by one hundred and fifty foot. We grow various crops. We grow corn, okra, peas, squash, zucchini, watermelon, cantaloupe, cucumbers, peppers, and tomatoes. That's what we're growing. We have okay, is this a bunch the, of is this, the,
0: is this the appropriate or inappropriate time to ask you about the cucumber beetle? Should I save that question for a later time? You can say it's it for my, later. It's my nemesis, man. The Is cucumber it? beetle, because, well, it's my nemesis. I know. Okay. What's it bad. doing? Well, it just, it just, we don't get any cucumbers. We used to get great cucumbers, and now, like every year, I, I can't I can't grow a cucumber.
2: Hmm. That absolutely stinks right there.
0: I know. There you go. I'm going to have to come get them from you. Okay. So we're nice. growing. All these we're growing, all these row crops right at Farmville Baptist right. Church. Um, who's yes, involved ma'am. and then what happens with all that produce?
2: So, it's it started with a bunch of college students. We got together with the pastor, says, Hey, we really want to have a garden, we want to be able to give it out to the community. So, originally, it was a bunch of college students coming out the first two years, and we would hoe the garden out, we'd till it. We had actually a couple farmers going to the church, and they came out with their tractors and dissed it, um, and they tilled it up for us because it was hard ground, a solid rock. out there, just about it. They uh, did a survey before, talking about building a building back there, and they found out there's a big old rock shelf, and they told us where they ever started digging. We might not even break soil because if we hit a rock, we're done. And uh, so we have that, and then lately, now, we've actually got a lot of members coming out, um, older members. They're like, all right, we want to deliver. We want to be able to give out this produce. So we have a handful of homebound members. It's members that are elderly in age and are unable to get out in public. Some of them are at nursing homes. Some of them have healthcare members staying with them. Um, limited mobility, basically. You know. So we are able to go out to their homes and deliver produce. But then we also partner with Shane with Way to Serve up in Opelika And he's got a list of families he goes and sees that are suffering with different needs with food needs and housing needs where their house is falling apart or there's just repairs. They can't get themselves. So we partnered with him and he's telling us where to go. Then we also do uh, John Johnson. He's a soup kitchen guy right down the road and we'll deliver to him and he'll make it for the soup kitchen.
0: I love that. Um, I mean, what, what's, I mean, I kind of get a sense of what the motivation is here but right. I'd like for you to just articulate it like there's a um, it's more than just growing food, right? This it, is a genuine no, sure. ministry of meeting people's needs.
2: Uh, uh, oh, it is. It's um, so it originally started back at home. I had a phone call just out of the blue. A guy called me. He's like, hey, did you ever garden before? I said, no, sure. sure haven't. And he said, well, how about you come out to the grove and I'll teach you how to garden. So I did that for about two and a half years while I was in high school.
0: Mm. And I got to know
2: this man, know his family. Um, he'd always bring lunch out. We'd work out in the garden. He had two. He, had, he called it the lower garden, the upper garden. And that's really how I first got started in gardening. was learning from him and just us talking and joking around all day. And then his family would come, bring us lunch sometimes. We'd have a neighbor show up. So then I asked him one day, I was like, well, what are you doing with all this produce? Because I know we got – at the time, we had 750 tomato plants.
1: Mm. That was his
2: main thing. I was like, there's no way you're eating all these tomatoes. I mean, I can eat all of myself. And uh, he said, well, honestly, I have a few people that come out that pick it that need food. And they provide for their families that way. Or I got a box, he says, by my house. So at late at night, we get back in. I just put the food in the box. And next morning, I don't know who it is but someone drives by and gets the produce they need and I don't know who they are. They just come by and grab it. I said, that's, that's really neat. He says, yeah. He said, some people don't want to admit that they need food and don't want to ask, but he says, I just put a sign up by the road and box and someone comes out and gets it. He says, it's, you know, it could be more than one family. I said, I don't check. I'm just grateful. I'm able to provide for them. They don't have to ask. He says, I also got a, that church, he says, I'll open my trunk up. And you talk about people flocking to your car. He says, they know I have vegetables in the back. And um, they just flock to the vehicle because of it. And I was like, my goodness, like you're getting not only helping the church, but helping the community that way. So I took a year off from there and started working up in Huntsville. And I came back and had my own garden at the house. And it really spoke to me. It was like, we're talking about, we're supposed to witness, you know, share our faith, talk to others. I was like, man, like. I know like my neighbors on either side, but, like I don't know two or three doors down. So I ended up getting produce at home, and I went door to door, introducing myself, telling them who I was, and hey, my family's right down the road. And I said, "Well, I'm growing a garden this year. I got some extra produce, which I like some." And that actually opened up doors for having gospel conversations later on. I mean, they weren't let some of them weren't all in need of food, but it at least opened the door to have that conversation of well, why are you doing this? Well, God's give me a gift. I sure do enjoy it. And I'm just able, I'm glad I'm able to bless y'all with what God has given me. And I mean I've had some serious heart to heart talk with people I, I never thought I would have. Just, you know, you wave as you drive down the road to your neighbor and that's about it. But I actually went door to door and talked to them. And then it came down here and working with way to serve, just going from house to house seeing the poor living conditions i mean we've i've been in a house where the whole back corner of the house was gone and she mm-hmm. had a treasure mm-hmm. door against that back corner i was like why is there a gesture door she's well i actually don't have a back wall and mm-hmm. i was like oh so we moved it and found out because just because you put a treasure door over a hole just, and the hole's you know still not there so a lot of rain came in and rotted the floor and everything and she had a, some kids there. I mean, just little kids, probably five or six, running around. They didn't know any difference, you know, that there's a, <laughs> that it's not normal to have a, mm-hmm. a back wall in my house. And I was like, my goodness, like, there's people here in need. And so the whole garden ministry, it's going out and beating those needs. Because we've had some that call the church that's heard about it and say, hey, we're in need. Could you come out and deliver? So we've done that. Or it's, it's not only a, physical need but there's a spiritual need there too and being able to share our faith say hey it's we all struggle we all have something that eats at us that we're all simple beings you know we all need to say and i mean that's the whole goal of it to share our faith want people to cross it's not about us but god's given us a gift and i'm just grateful that we're able to use it
0: i am so thankful for you i'm so thankful for you i can't um, I can't wait to um, to know more of this story. We're talking with Andrew Bailey. Um, among other things, he is um, serving at Farmville Baptist Church in the community garden. He just graduated from Auburn University, and he's going to continue on with his education. So we're going to get some details on that next. But I want you to think about what God has given you, what he's placed within your reach, where you might plant a garden and how that might Open up doors of opportunity um, and and doors of um, getting to know your neighbors. I just uh, I can't I can't wait for more. So more with Andrew Bailey in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. all right we're continuing our conversation with Andrew Bailey um I know I know your uh, your feedback I love him too I love it that's what people are saying they love you Andrew I'm just letting you know that uh listeners across the country and around the world are enjoying um the conversation with you today so thank you so much oh, um thanks for that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So um, I want to know a little bit more about what you're up to and things that you know that you think we should know. You just graduated from Auburn with a degree in agribusiness or agriscience. Um, So what is something happening in the world of agriculture that you think we should know about that we probably don't know?
2: That's a very fantastic question, Carmen. So with my degree is agri science education. So we're talking about being in the classroom, reaching all the students, right? So part of my undergrad to You're going to be a degree... teacher? Yes, ma'am.
0: <gasps> okay. How excited is everybody now? Okay, go ahead. Now, now I'm, I'm all in.
2: So part of my undergrad program is being placed in a school for about six months. So we got to see students firsthand, um, With that, you know, you get to see their families, you get to see the kids, you get to see how they work and everything. And part of it was very eye-opening was since the virus came out, a bunch of kids, you know, they took school shutdown completely, right? Mm -hmm. And I found out later on that some superintendents came out and said, all right, well, since school shut down, grades are final when, you know, when they got out either spring break, right, or spring break, grades were final then. So then a bunch of students – that did work, Decide, oh, well, we don't have to do work anymore because of, you know, it didn't count. So then mm-hmm. with that, we have a relapse we're seeing now in schools where students care somewhat, and they're like, well, is it really going to count? Is it not? And that's something we're battling as teachers right now is being able to see students in the agro-science field just, one, they have that gap of years of just, well, I just studied at home, or I just kind of halfway did things at home, but now they come back to classroom and... and noticing that they're not getting everything so it's taking a little slower which is fine to teach everything and to go over everything and to get their mind back on track on hey this is what we're doing and not only that but we're also trying to reach the students to make an impact in our lives
0: mm-hmm. and that's
2: that's a big thing because I mean some of these kids they come from broken homes I got to see when I was out student intern at one of the schools you just they kids don't necessarily open up, tell you what's going on, but you kind of you talk a little with them, and some will open up, some won't. And it's just seeing there's still that need in the agriculture field of one telling people what agriculture is that we still still applies to everybody, right? We don't all have to be row crop farmers or have our own beef cattle or poultry farm, but we're all involved with it some way. You know, we all get our food, we all get clothing and everything else, but. It's more than that, and just making that connection with the students, and let them know there's just more than one pathway after high school
0: mm so good um I live in a fairly rural uh community um We're not too far from a major city but um but we you know we've got four little steer calves right now, and we've got a dozen chickens and uh and our garden is in um we have a little orchard as well. We feel so blessed to be able to share. Um, the produce with others. It is a it is a doorway of opportunity. Um, and I'm also, I guess I'm wondering, so we could be using more of the property around churches for community gardens, certainly. Um, now you have me wondering, is there any reason that at schools across the country, there couldn't be community gardens? Like, I feel like getting students out of the classroom and learning some reproducible skill um, would be really beneficial. Maybe that's happening in other places. I mean, we have a little greenhouse at our high school, but not an actual garden.
2: Right. I've heard of, I think, one high school that has a very small one. They have a raised beds. Mm-hmm. They do a little gardening in their raised beds, and then I so said that might be the only one I've really heard of. I've heard of greenhouses and high tunnels being used, but that's more for commercial outside, like you know. I guess it'd be a community college is what's been doing them. I've heard a little about Mm -hmm. that. I've heard there's a bunch in the community. Like I think there's, I couldn't misquote be misquoted. I know of think three community gardens around Auburn that people just Mm. show up and pick or they can pay and get a plot. And people are able to learn about that. There's sometimes like supervisors out there that's able to demonstrate, Hey, this is what you can grow in this season. This is what you can pick. But Getting students involved in that would be tremendous. I mean, it's giving them a life skill of knowing how to work and how to attend what they what they've been given. But then they also get to see the joys of picking it and get to benefit from the produce from it.
0: It's so good. Um it's so good. All right, so what your aspirations, like down the road. I know so what's your next degree? What are you working on? And um what's the future hold as you see it now?
2: So I've been very blessed by god for sure uh last november ish i was offered a job offer for auburn university to go in as a master student so i'd be a gta working for them under the department of agriscience education so they offered me that position for two years and i'll be doing research for auburn and they'd be paying for my schooling so i've been very blessed with that opportunity to be able to to get the master's that way i'll be working there for two years and then I'll go on from there and see what the next door God opens up. It's
0: do you know what to- your research what your research area is gonna be?
2: I do not know yet. I know I'll be helping probably Dr. Clinton's and Dr. Kibben on a research project they haven't we have not discussed yet. Okay. What's up?
0: Okay. Well we're so excited. Um and so you're gonna continue with the community garden at the church, um, while you're working on this uh yeah. next yeah, you're going to you're going to keep doing that as well. Yes, I will. Okay. So, um Andrew, people are so encouraged and blessed by our conversation today. Um could we maybe maybe just plan to have like a seasonal conversation because I think that um continuing to encourage and inspire people, you can bring us more stories of um of, you know, how you're got how you're seeing God work um you know, by the extension of the produce of the land into the lives of people in the community, um, and also we just want to keep up with you.
2: Yeah, that's, that sounds great, Carmen. Love to talk you in and give you all updates and tell you how I see God it's So bless and okay. see how God works.
0: And then the other thing that I would um, like for you to consider is I would I would love to be connected at some point in some way with the guy back at home that when you were a high school student just picked up the phone and gave you a call and said, Have you ever, have you ever planted a garden? Because I think that there are so many people listening right now who, you know, we garden, we've got stuff going on, but the courage to pick up the phone and call a high school student and say, Hey, would you like to come do this with me? Like that is the hurdle that many, many people need to figure out how to get over. And I'm so I'm wondering if maybe that farmer in your hometown might tell us his story at some point.
2: Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll give him a call He'd, and see what he's up to. Yeah. See give him, give
0: him. that some thought and we'll share this audio with you and you can share it with him so that he knows how friendly we are.
2: All right. That sounds fantastic.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, have a blessed day. Um, you have certainly blessed us. We're so thankful for you. Thanks for being here.
2: Well, thanks for having
0: me. Absolutely. That's Andrew Bailey. He's not just one to watch. He's one to listen to, and we're going to have him back. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. All right. How happy does that make you? (laughs) How happy did it make you to get to, to talk with Andrew Bailey? First of all, aren't you just, like, thrilled that God's got all that going on with uh, with a young man in Alabama and that God's uh, using him in such a, a beautiful way and that he's so humble and so real? And don't you just love the sound of his voice? Like, <laughs> God. okay, so let me just—hopefully uh, you loved it because I intend to have him back. Like, I I have all kinds of ideas now jotted down for conversations with Andrew uh, Andrew Bailey in the future, so— Hey, let's be praying for young people today. Um and then let's be looking around our own lives and say, what do I what do I know how to do that might be useful for a kid to know how to do? Um and then, you know, four years down the road, five years down the road, that kid might be doing that thing in a different place in a different community, growing in in heart and spirit and service and um passing on to the next generation the things that you taught them. Like right, like what do you know how to do? Are you planning a garden this year? Are you going to be canning? Are you making pies? Like what are you doing that um, somebody in your community could really benefit from? I mean, historically we called it extension, right? Like the um, the Department of Agriculture had these. I mean, I mean, I know we still have extension agents. Please don't have your feelings hurt if you're an extension agent, but they don't like do canning anymore. They don't like teach us how to can or sew and all kinds of things that. I don't know, we used to do 100 years ago or 50 years ago. Um, So we need to be doing that now for our neighbors and for our kids. And um, maybe you are a master gardener and you could actually be cultivating that in the life of your church and in your community. I mean, like, look around. Where's the vacant land? Let's get something growing. We're growing stuff. We're planting ideas here uh, on Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. We've got another hour up next. Um, We're going to continue in the conversation that we started yesterday on where there's smoke, there's fire. So look out the window. Is there smoke? Is it smoky where you are today? The answer is probably yes. Um, So we're going to talk about that next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support.